Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. First Timothy 4, let's get right into our study tonight. I want to recognize again the key of what we're talking about, what to do till he comes. What to do till he comes. Now this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's a powerful help for us to understand that because we are in the last days of the church, we should know of some things to do in our life to continue to prepare ourselves for his return. How many know Jesus said to be ready when he comes? Number one on your notes, here are some general guidelines, general guidelines that will help you to be ready when he comes. If Jesus obviously told us time and again, be ready for my return, don't you know that we need to do something to make sure we're ready? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, starting off tonight here in these verses written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to a young man, Timothy, till I come... Give attention to, underline these, reading. Give attention to what? Reading. To exhortation. Underline that. And to doctrine. Underline that. Till I come, Paul talking to Timothy, but a great word for us till Jesus returns. Give attention to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you, to Timothy, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. 15, meditate on these things. Do what? Meditate on these things. Notice this. Underline it. Give yourself entirely to them. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. If we're doing these things, how I many you know people should notice and take note of there's a difference in our life and how we're living, what we're doing, and what we're saying in the midst of everything that's going on. That we're not running around like everybody else, like a chicken with their head cut off saying, oh my gosh, man, what are we going to do? Look at the economy, look at the inflation rate and all this kind of stuff. No, if we understand and know the last day's scriptures and walk with God, how I many you know we're going to be fine? So on your notes here, notice this, 1A, first thing he says is to do what? Give attention to reading, and of course, reading what? The Scriptures. Now, let me emphasize this again. In relationship to that very first verse right there, verse 13, give attention to reading. So reading in general doesn't help you if you don't read the Bible properly. If all you do is to, you know... I've said this many times and I want to stress that I'm not just totally against like a one-year Bible reading plan. But most of the time that just becomes reading for the purpose of saying I did it. You know, that's, you, you got to understand something about reading the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, what are you really doing? If you're doing this biblically, you're fellowshipping with God. It's like you just sat down to have an audience with God And God actually is speaking to you. You just may not be listening. So when you read the Bible, you should always take it as if you're having a conversation with God. 
I, in context of scripture, I always take it to the degree even if I read something and I don't totally understand what it's saying or I kind of know there's something there I'm not getting, I always say, Lord, what are you saying there? Speak to me about what that's telling me. And I reread it again. So reading is not just let's just read through the Bible and get through a chapter a day or a paragraph a day or whatever. You got to look at it just like if you truly had somebody that you admired, that you thought a lot of, that was very successful in an area of their life. You wanted to glean from what they know. You know, there's nothing wrong with stuff like this. The Bible says, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. You know, sadly, there's a lot of people even, even in the world that have learned how to operate under principles that, of, that have, are of God that operate and function no matter who uses them. How I many of your words function and work no matter who uses them? You know, but I think of like, I know Bill goes to some of these, uh, what are they called, 10X or I know even, huh? Growth conference. I know uh, Coy's gone to some before. And you don't realize that when you go there, you're going there not to just sit and go through another quote-unquote seminar and come home and say, hey, I made it through the seminar. It's so that you can really learn what they're talking about because you respect and honor what they're saying. You need to do that with the Bible. You need to, every time you sit down with the Word, you need to have this honor and respect for God to say, I'm not just coming to read the Bible to read it. I'm coming to hear from God. I'm coming to hear fellowship from God, to hear what he has to say to me. Amen? So we talk about giving attention to reading. We're not just saying just read it. As I've taught you many times, you can read it, not read it properly. 1B, give attention to what? Exhortation. So what is exhortation? Preaching. That's what we do here. We exhort you to obviously do what Scripture teaches. Now, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Teaching is line upon line. Truths of understanding of what the Bible says. I exhorted you. I taught you a lot this morning about words, but I exhorted you over and over and over again. And I exhorted you that if you don't put this into practice, guess what? The teaching does you no good. So to give attention to exhortation means as our pastor proclaims to us these very things that we're to do, we got to put them in application if we're going to see it make a difference in our life. So 1B, to give attention to exhortation, means you're giving attention to what? The preaching of the Word of God, the proclamation of it. And then 1C, you're also to give attention to what? Doctrine. That's the teaching. So in essence, what that means, I need to press in to learn and understand what the Bible says. But it's important as you're about to see that you want to do something beyond just understanding what that teaching says. You want to get that teaching in your heart, not just your head. It begins in your head. To get it in your heart, it's got to come through your mind, right? To your soulish part of you, mind, will, and emotions. But the goal is to get it into the heart. You remember, even in context to what the Bible said in Timothy about this, about the last days, that there would be those who continue to increase in learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You can learn a lot of stuff in your head, but when it's revelation in your heart, now it's truth made alive to you by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he talks about to move on here. So we give attention to doctrine. D, we also give ourselves to the gift that's in us. And be sure not to neglect it. I wanted to talk about E for a minute and meditate on these things. So when I take in the word of God, the teaching of it, and I begin to get knowledge of it in my head, what do I need to do to work that into my heart? Meditate on it. Speak it over and over again so it becomes real to you. So it becomes alive in you. Amen? Amen. 
And as he mentioned again, don't neglect the gift that's in you. So if you'll look at what he said here in verse 14, talking to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. What was the gift that was in Timothy given to him by a prophetic word from the Apostle Paul? What was that gift that was in him? Anybody know? He was a pastor. Gift of a pastor. You give yourself to that gift. So realize within all of us, God gives us gifts and abilities. You need to give yourself to those gifts and abilities. Because God wants you to use them for the purpose of the kingdom. Amen? To help do the work of the kingdom. And then 1F, give yourself entirely to them. What? Give yourself completely, not partially. Make this your lifestyle. If you want to say it that way, it's an easier way to understand. Entirely means this is my lifestyle. I'm going to give attention to reading, exhortation, the preaching of the word, doctrine, the teaching of the word, not neglecting the gifts of God that are in me and... I'm going to continue to meditate on these things. And if you do, you're well on your way to maintaining a readiness for the return of Jesus. Amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go over here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So these are powerful little nuggets of truth to recognize what we need to do to be ready till he comes. What do we do till he comes? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Here we get, so what we just read was words of advice from Paul to Timothy. Now we're going to get some words of advice that Paul gives to the Thessalonians. So he told Timothy those words. Now he's speaking to the Thessalonians here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, by the what? Word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain. What's alive and remain? What's alive and remain? So alive, you're still physically alive here on the planet. Remain. You're walking out active Christianity. That means you're going to be here when the rapture happens. So alive and remain refers to those that are still here when this rapture occurs, when Jesus comes back. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now, asleep here just means, of course, they physically died. And physical death is just referring to what? Actually, God calls it a type of sleep. Why? They're going to get a resurrected body. They're going to get a new resurrected body. Notice this. So he said, you who are alive and remain, who will by no means precede those who are asleep. 16, watch this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. He will descend from heaven with what? A shout. shout With a voice of an Archangel. archangel with the trumpet of God. Underline it, and the dead in Christ will do what? So those who are, those, that's those who are asleep. The dead in Christ are those whose physical bodies are no longer alive. But guess what's going to happen? They're going to get a brand new body. The dead in Christ will rise. They're not dead, right? They're, they're with Jesus in heaven. They come back on white horses. They have a spirit and a soul, but they're going to get a glorified, resurrected body. 17, then we who are again alive and remain. So alive again means you're physically alive on the planet, but remain means that you remain prepared and ready for the return of the Lord. Our pastors taught this many times, active Christianity, walking out what a believer should be doing. Then those who are alive and remain shall be what? They will be what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet who? To meet the Lord in the air. Does that not excite you? 
to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Bring comfort or strength to one another with these words. Now the reason he said comfort one another was because if you read the whole book, Paul says to the Thessalonians, in essence, that you thought that the rapture already occurred. In their time, they were being told by some, Jesus already came and raptured everybody. He said, nope, hadn't come yet. And when he does, you'll know, because there'll be a shout, voice of a trumpet, amen, and you'll see the dead in Christ rise. So number two on your notes, 2A, you need to realize and admit that Jesus is coming for the church, the rapture. If you want to get ready, then you need to realize and admit he is coming. How many believe that? To be, you need to therefore be sure to do what? Maintain your Christian walk. That's the remain part. Alive, remain. So remain means to do what? Maintain your Christian walk. Now I'll tell you what, the devil wants to get people cooled off in the last days. The devil wants to pe- get people to disrespect the house of God, the things of God, all that God has made available for us to walk out these last days. Because like you know, Jesus said, the love of many will grow cold. And you can say what you want. I know you know this, but, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. But people who think anybody's going to go in the rapture, why did Jesus tell the Laodiceans, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out when I come back? Good reason not to be lukewarm. Well, I promise you this, lukewarm Christians aren't churchgoers. They're not those who are going and getting the oil that's available to them. So remaining again means I'm maintaining my Christian walk. If you're maintaining your Christian walk, Basically, basically understanding, if I'm maintaining my Christian walk, what is the vital importance of my life every day? Relationship with Him. That's it. Relationship with Him. If I truly am walking in close relationship with God, I'll guarantee you what? You're going to walk out what the Bible says. Because if you're going to walk in close relationship with God, what do you think He's going to tell you to do? Hey, ditch church. You don't need to go. Hey, put down your Bible. You don't need to read your Bible. Come on, you're okay. You're born again. Hey, don't worry about forgiving them. They did you wrong. It's okay. I've already forgiven you. Hey, don't worry about that sin you're living in. It's all right. You're saved by grace. Just do what you want. Now, see, if you walk, if you walk close with God, He's going to encourage you to do all the things that are going to be a strength to your life. So people who say, I'm okay with God, and they do all these things, I will tell you what. They might think they're okay with God, but they certainly aren't close with God. Because God's not going to tell you to do those things. And then 2C, you need to do what? You ought to comfort one another with these words of his coming. So as a church who sees each other all the time, you ought to encourage each other for being here. You ought to continue to get excited about his return. And be ready for it in Jesus' name. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So you're in chapter 4. Drop down to chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 1. Now Paul also warns us, notice this, number three, Paul warns us that all Christians should be ready at Jesus' appearing. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. So he tells us to comfort one another with his words. Then he goes on and talks about what's known as the day of the Lord here. Verse 1, concerning the times and the seasons. The what? Times and seasons. Can we know the day? No. Should we know the times and seasons? Yes, he even says it. Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Believers should know the times and the seasons of the Lord's appearing. 
of what Scripture reveals that time when in earth would be like. What would this season be like? It's like the season. How many of you know we're about to enter into one of my favorite seasons in Texas? Fall season, right? Well, is, are there signs that reveal to you that's going to happen? Yeah. The signs obviously will be cooler weather. Temperatures going down, right? Leaves all of a sudden changing color falling off of the trees. So there's things that reveal to you you're entering into another season. Well, we have evidence in the Bible of the times and seasons of the return of the Lord. Things the Bible told us that would happen when that return would happen. So he says, you should have no need that I should write to you, Thessalonians. Why? He'd already covered with it, covered them, uh, covered this with them. Verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly, listen, that the day of the Lord. So this is actually the rapture because that's what he'd been talking about. That the day of the Lord, watch, so comes as a thief in the night. Well, a thief coming in the night, I'll guarantee you what is unannounced. People don't know when that thief is coming, the specific day, and therefore it takes them by surprise. This is what literally uh, Scripture teaches. The day of the Lord, in the time frame of which he returns to come and get us, guess what? Most will be unprepared. Most will be unprepared. They won't even know. They, I'm, I'll guarantee you, if people were really serious thinking Jesus could return any day and knows what, know what Scripture says, I, these chairs would be filled with Christians. They'd be filled with Christians. I don't mean you'd ever miss church. I'm just saying it would be filled. We would, we would hardly see a service that we, I mean, we'd have to be trying to make room for them. You know, back in the 70s, they were filled. Right? Back in the 70s, churches were filled. And I'll tell you what, man, I mean, people were saying, oh, he could come any day. And Pastor Barclay kept saying, nope, he's not coming any day. Oh, yeah, he could. He could come any day. Nope. Why? Because he said, when I come, he said, it'll be like a thief coming in the night and most will be caught unaware. Everybody's expecting him in the 70s. He said, he's not coming right now because he said, I'll come at a time you don't expect. So we just need to stay ready. I said, we need to stay ready. Again, so verse 2 he said, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as what? A thief in the night. Three, for when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Verse four, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Doesn't mean you don't know the day, but if you know the times and seasons, you're staying ready all the time. Verse 5, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not what? Let us not sleep as others do. There are people sleeping today. What does it mean to sleep here? To be lukewarm. What's a more definitive definition of of what it means to sleep here? Spiritually lazy. Spiritually lazy. So let us not sleep as others do, but, underline it, let us what? Watch and be what? So watching and being sober is the opposite of falling asleep. What does it mean to watch? Watch is the opposite of sleeping. What's the, what's the term watch mean? Stay awake. Stay awake spiritually. What's the word sober means? Anybody know? Self-controlled. So you have to maintain self-control of your walk with God so that you don't get taken advantage of and fall asleep. Are you listening? Let us watch, stay awake spiritually, and be what? Sober, self-controlled. Seven, for those who sleep, 
fall asleep spiritually, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Eight, but let us who are of the day be what again? Sober, Sober, self-controlled. Underline this, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope, the hope or expectation of our salvation or the return of Jesus. In other words, you ought to be expecting it all the time. Just like Kathy said this morning, you know, Christians ought to get excited thinking it could be today. Could be today. Number 3A on your notes there, you are to know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as what? A thief in the night, unannounced. You should know that. You're not going to know the day. When it happens, it's going to even kind of surprise you. Although, if you know the times and seasons, you're waiting for it. Amen. Amen? 3B, be sure you are not in darkness so the day won't overtake you. Sure, be sure you're not in darkness so the day won't overtake you. Don't do the things, obviously, Scripture tells you not to do. And you won't get caught up with darkness. 3C, watch and be sober, not spiritually sleepy or lazy. If you watch, you're staying awake spiritually. If you're living soberly, you're maintaining self-control over your life, decisions you make, things you do. 3D, keep your armor on, especially as the day approaches. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith and love, meaning what? I trust God, therefore I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to walk in love. I'm not going to get out of love, because if I do, my faith won't work. And I'm going to maintain a helmet of what? Of Of an expectation of His salvation. What's a helmet of the hope of salvation? I've taught you this before. So in the armor, we have the helmet of salvation, which he now calls the hope of salvation. So he's talking about thinking here. What's it mean to have the helmet of the hope of salvation on? I should always be thinking he could come today. You listening? When I wake up tomorrow, I should be thinking he could come today. You want to keep your help because if you're thinking he could come today, it's going to help you walk out what you're supposed to walk out that day. If you're going through your day thinking he could come today and you're about to make a decision that would be wrong and you think in your mind, but he could come today. Amen? It'll keep you prepared. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. What to do till he comes. What to do till Jesus comes. 1 Corinthians 15. Say, praise the Lord. Number four in your notes, the Apostle Paul also teaches that the coming of the Lord is an absolute. Say absolute. I know you know that, but he tells us clearly that the coming of the Lord is an absolute. And he warns the Corinthians in case any of them are not ready. So now let's go over here to 1 Corinthians 15. And let's see what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to tell the Corinthians about this event. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A hidden truth. We shall not all sleep, those who have again already gone on to heaven, but we shall all be what? Oh, come on. We shall all be what? Changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. What's the twinkling of an eye? How fast can you blink your eye? That's how fast this is going to happen. Think about that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, so therefore we aren't going to have time to do something about it when it happens. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, so we know he's talking about this same day. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead again will be what? 
They'll be raised incorruptible. So that body that was corrupted by sin and fallen that was left here will now be raised what? Incorruptible. And we, underline it, shall be changed. We who? Those that are still here. Instant change. Instant transformation. From a mortal body to an immortal body. Into a glorified body. Amen? Verse 53. For this corruptible, the body you're living in now, must put on incorruption. This mortal, the mortal body you're in now, must put on immortality. 54. So when this corruption is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then, come on, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Because when you are instantly transformed, guess what the devil learns? He can't get you anymore. You're not going to hell. You're not going to hell. And not only that, physical death will have lost its hold on you. And the second death will now know it has no ability to take advantage of you. What's the second death? What's the second death? The Bible talks about the second death. What's the second death? Eternal damnation. Lake of fire. Separation from God forever. And all that are born again will not face the second death. The ultimate death. See, the first death is to die physically. Die physically. Your physical body stops existing. You don't. Your physical body stops functioning. And if you're born again, you go to heaven. If you're not, you go into a holding cell right now called hell. Hell's not the eternal damnation destination for all who reject Jesus. The lake of fire is. Well, that's hell. No, it's not. Revelation says hell itself is thrown into the lake of fire. What is the lake of fire? I don't know. And I don't care because <laughs> I ain't going there. And I don't want to go there. I got an idea, but I don't know. We know this earth will be burned up. And up in this earth's atmosphere is what's known as the sun. You know what the sun is? It's a lake of fire. Now, I'm not telling you I know for a fact everybody's going to get thrown into that lake of fire. But there's a lake of fire somewhere that those who reject God are going to go. But thank God we're not going. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad I'm not going. So let me see if I can get you to shout one more time. Let me see if I can get you to shout. Verse 54, this corruptible has then put on incorruption. When this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass what was prophesied and spoken. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now you have ultimate victory because now your body is glorified. You already got victory as a child of God. But now you have the ultimate victory because now you're complete spirit, soul, and body. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. Sin is what causes people, obviously, to be separated from God and thus experience death if they don't repent. If they don't turn, right? And the strength of that sin is what? The law. What reveals the very fact that you need Jesus? All that verse is saying, the sting of death is sin. Sin is what causes people, if they don't repent, to experience the sting of death. You're born again. You won't experience the sting of death. How did I come to know that I had sin and I needed to receive a Savior? Because the strength of sin is the law. What does the law reveal? I have a sin nature. The Ten Commandments reveal that none of us, none of us of our own merit or own righteousness could go to heaven. Because we've all sinned. 
You listening? So all that verse is saying is, what is the sting of death? It is sin because sin, if not dealt with and repented of and salvation received, is going to affect everybody to the degree they're going to wind up in the second death. And what reveals that strength of sin? The law does. That's why the Bible says the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. The law was what revealed our need for a Savior. That's what I loved about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was such a powerful, successful evangelist because he never, ever shared the salvation message without sharing the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments reveal the sin nature and why you need a Savior. Verse 57, but thanks be to God. Come on. Underline it. But thanks be to God. Shout it at me one time. That was a shout? Come on, you shouted better at your grandkids' football game. Come on, but thanks be to God. Notice this, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he gives us the victory in all aspects of what we know as a believer, but this is directly related to what? Death. Death, where is your sting? It has no sting on the believer. And Jesus is the one that gave us victory over death. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved, because of this, because we've been given victory over death, guess what? We should be what? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, you know, look back again, recognize from verse 51 down to 56, he's talking here about the difference between those who are already born again on the planet, those who are with Jesus, went to be with him, they had a mortal body, you have a mortal body, all who know Jesus are going to turn into what? Immortal. Brand new body. But those who don't are going to be what? Separated from God and face death. But Jesus gave us victory over death. So because of this, verse 58, therefore. So the word therefore is because of this. Because we have this before us, those that are still here before Jesus comes back, what do we have a hope of? From immortal to mor- uh, from mortal to immortal. Instantly changed, twinkling of an eye. Because of that, beloved, what should you do? Be steadfast. So until that day comes, what should you do? Be steadfast. Be what? Be what? Immovable. Always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing again that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right. Number four in your notes. Number one, be steadfast. Steadfast in what? In your walk with God. Be steadfast in your walk with God. Four, be be immovable. Don't let the devil move you away from fellowship with God. Don't let things in this life move you away from fellowship with God. Don't let things in this life move you away from fellowship with other believers. Come on, don't let things move you away from getting, getting into God's house. Be immovable. Come on, immovable. And then number three, four, three, always, always doing what? Always abounding, abounding in the work of the Lord. You don't just do the work of the Lord when you're here. You should, but you ought to be doing the work of the Lord every day. You ought to be one bold witness in this last day. You ought to be looking for opportunity. I said you ought to be looking for opportunity to find somebody that you can go after and help them to know your Jesus or to get delivered from something Satan has them bound with. And then number four, realize as you do, your labor is what? 
Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, what if I go pray for somebody and don't receive it? Your labor is not in vain. What if I witnessed, but they didn't get born again right then? Your labor is not in vain. Because sharing the gospel is doing what? What are we doing when we're sharing the gospel? We're doing one of two things. We're planting or watering. Do we give the increase? No, God does. So if I'm sharing the gospel, am I doing something the Bible said I should? And if I'm planting seeds into their heart, it takes some time for that to grow. Is that labor then in vain? See, the devil wants you to think if you go witness to somebody and they don't pray right there in that moment or show some sign that they want to receive your Jesus, you're going to walk away and let the devil make you think that was wasted effort. That was wasted time. I'm going to quit witnessing. It don't work. But see, that's what the devil wants you to think, so you'll quit witnessing. But your labor in the Lord is never in vain. If you're witnessing to people, guess what? You are planting. Or you are what? Watering. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you think this, what if they don't ever receive salvation? You still did not labor in vain because God's going to give everybody the opportunity to know him. And he's going to remind them. When they come up to that judgment seat and are cast into that lake of fire, he's going to say, I sent Brandy, I sent Butch, I sent Chef, I sent Anuk, I sent Josh, I sent Kat, I sent, I sent, I sent, I sent all these people across your path. You can't stand before me and tell me you didn't have opportunity to know me. You did. Because we did what he told us to do. Amen. So again, number four, three, uh, four, 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 your labor is never in vain in the Lord. James chapter five, what to do till he comes. Abound in the work of the Lord, church. Look for opportunity every day. Be steadfast in your walk with God. Be immovable in doing the work of God. Don't let people move you away from sharing your faith, from going to God's house and from walking with your God. Number five, the Apostle James here is inspired by the Holy Spirit to challenge the church about the Lord's coming. So we've been hearing from Paul. Let's look here at what, uh, what James now says about this uh, in context to the, con- the return of our uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what we need to do till he comes. James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren. What's patient mean? What's patient mean? Biblical. Give me a biblical definition of patience. What, Chef? Long-suffering? Okay. What's patient mean? Help me out. See, patient, we think this is patient. All right. Kathy's going to come sooner or later. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I know she's going to be, she's going to show up. She's not here yet. I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to sit down and wait. Is that what it means? That's not the biblical term of patience. Now, listen, if you're a husband, I'll give you a little side note. You better learn that type of patience. Because you're going to be waiting on your wife. Amen. It's part of our job, part of our assignment. I sell time. Part of my assignment is to wait on my wife. Praise God. I'm there to wait for her. Now, what's patience biblically? What's patience biblically? Patience doesn't mean sit down and just wait. Patience means to stay consistent. The Bible term patience means you remain consistent. If I am patiently waiting for the Lord, I'm not just sitting here waiting, doing nothing. Are you still here? Come on, if Kathy tells me we're going so-and-so, okay, praise God, and I go get ready, most of the time, guess where she finds me in the house? I'm sitting over in a seat waiting for her to come. I'm not, I'm not upset about it. Don't bother me. I'm just patiently waiting. But that's not this patience. 
Because if you take the term patient from the perspective of, the, of the, what we think of the world, what's it mean? I'm just sitting here doing nothing. He didn't tell you to do nothing. So don't take this term to me, I'm sitting here doing nothing. No, you're not. The context of patience means I'm actively consistent in doing what I'm supposed to do. So again, James 5, 7, Therefore, brethren, uh, notice again, uh, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. What's that farmer doing in the midst of that? He keeps weeding out the weeds. He keeps watering that garden. Come on. He keeps doing what he has to do till that harvest is available. He doesn't go plant the seed. How many you know farmers do not do this? They don't go plant the seed, go sit in their house and just wait for the day the harvest comes. There's work to be done till that harvest comes. So this patience doesn't mean don't do nothing. No, you got to stay consistent in doing what God said to do. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. Do what? Underline that. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is what? It's at hand. Now think about that. He said at hand here means it's drawing near. That was written 2,000 years ago. It's drawing near. Nine, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Hello. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Come on. Wyvern. Husbandren. Don't grumble against one another. Are you still here? Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be what? Condemned. Why? Underline it. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's standing at the door. A lot of people think in relationship to standing at the door and he's just knocking on the hearts of all people waiting to get in. No, this is referring to the fact that he is standing there waiting to come back to rapture us and take us home. So let's look at our notes again here on uh, number five. Again, the Apostle James is inspired by the Holy Spirit to challenge the church about the Lord's coming. Let him challenge us tonight. 5a, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Suicide or praying to go home is not the proper mode of operation. Because you and I have something to do. Because patient means you're actively involved in doing what God says you and I are supposed to be doing. 5b, looking for the latter rain. Say it's coming. It's prophesied, folks, and it will come. Looking for the latter rain, it is as sure to come as the early rain has all as it is. To, it is as sure to come as the early rain has already, and that happened on the day of Pentecost. Thank God, there's a latter rain coming. I said, there's a latter rain coming. Five C. What should you do in the midst of all that? Establish your hearts. What will help me to be patient, Lord, consistent in what I'm doing? Establish your heart. Establish your heart. This includes your emotions and your attitudes. So help me out tonight. How do I establish my heart? How do I establish my heart? Real simple. Keep your heart set on God. You keep it focused on God. Don't get focused on the world. Don't get focused on the things of the world. Keep your focus on God. You keep your focus on God, your heart's established. So keep your heart set on God. Keep your focus on God. Keep chasing Him every day. Your heart's established. Amen? Keep, keep talking to God every day. Keep your focus on your relationship every day. Your heart's established. 5D, do not grumble against one another. Turn your neighbor and say, that includes you. I didn't say they're doing it. 
gosh, man. Some of you act like I was making you accuse them. No. You're helping me preach. I said, you're helping me preach. I'm telling you, do not grumble against one another. Tell your neighbor that includes you. Do not grumble against one another. Why? 5E, the judge is standing at the door. I'll tell you why you start grumbling. Here's why you start grumbling. Your heart's not established. You're focused on other things. If, if your heart's established on God, can I help you? Here's a way you know that your heart's established on God. Every day you're forever thankful for what he did. Even in the midst of what's going on, because your heart's looking at him and you're focused on him, you're so thankful every day for what God has done for you. So thankful for your salvation. So thankful for the delivering power of the blood of Jesus. When you start grumbling, guess what's happened? Your heart's not set on him. You grumble because you start looking at other people, other things. Stuff's not going your way. Why? Your focus is not on God. So understand, if you're grumbling, your heart's not set on him. 2 Peter chapter 3. Say what to do until he comes. These are great things to learn about what to do until he comes. So we are ready when he shows up. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now we're going to see Peter talk about what he would warn the body of Christ before the day of the Lord. The Lord's appearing. So here we are. Number 6. Apostle Peter gives us his warning to the body of Christ about the day of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3. Getting a little bit of everybody's viewpoint here. Obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then spoken through these great men of God. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord. So we know again what he's talking about. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up eleven. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Because you know these things are coming. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So see, it was nothing more but just praying a prayer. Then why do we have these verses? Why do we have these scriptures? I'll tell you why. Does anybody know why we don't want to get off and walk in, our, in relationship with God, walking off from God and walking back with the world? I'll tell you why. You could harden your heart toward God. If you harden your heart toward God, what could you do? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. Notice this. Looking for. What are we supposed to be doing? Watch this. Looking for and hastening. What? Yeah, hastening. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. <clears throat> How many are you looking forward to them? All right, listen carefully. Be diligent. Underline it. Be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. <clears throat> without spot and blameless. Meaning what? I don't have unconfessed sin. I'm not living in sin intentionally. Doesn't mean you don't sin. But if you do, you know it. You confess it. You get out of it. So those that are walking around with spots and blemishes are those who have literally, the Bible says, have stained their garments. You're, wa you're washed by the blood. You have a white garment, but you're not repenting of your sin. You're choosing to live in sin. You're choosing to do things willfully in violation of the Word of God. You don't want to be doing that when Jesus comes back. <clears throat> 
6A, we are to be what? Holy in conduct. He just told us. 6B, we're to conduct ourselves with what? Godliness. God-like living. 6C, we should also be looking for and doing what? Even hastening. The day of the Lord, looking for that day as it's coming, get excited about it, and hastening the day of the Lord. What should we do to hasten the day of the Lord? You ought to be witnessing to everybody you can. 6D, be diligent to be sure that you are found without what? Spot or blemish. Do not live in willful sin. And do not think that I can just sin and get away with it by the deception and the lies of the teachings of the day that have been around since the New Testament. That I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want. Dangerous way to live. Hebrews chapter 2. Book of Hebrews chapter 2. Let's go over here and get some more understanding of what we do to escape the judgment that is to come. Hebrews chapter 2, number 7 on your notes. Be sure that you have what it takes to escape judgment at the dealing of the day. At the dealing of the day. Huh? Oh, sorry. I read it wrong. Be sure that you have what it takes to escape judgment and the dealing of the day. Thank you. Hebrews 2, 1. You there? Therefore we, say I, we must give the more earnest heed. This is powerful. We must give the more earnest heed to what? What must we give the more earnest heed to? The things that we've heard, lest we do what? I'm going to come back to that. Verse 2, for if the word spoken, preached, through angels in the past, proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we, under the teaching of the New Testament, how shall we escape if we neglect, neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was then confirmed to us by those who heard him. What's he saying here, Pastor? Verse 1 is talking about those, obviously, who understand and know, have heard what the Bible teaches of how we're supposed to live, need to pay even closer attention to those things they've heard. Meaning what? When you hear something for the umpteenth time, what should you do? Give the more earnest heed to what you're hearing to make sure I'm doing that. Because if you don't, what are you, you going to find out? You're drifting away from it. <clears throat> so maybe now you can teach on things in the Bible of people who have been in church a long time and people have been in church a long time and heard the teachings of Scripture. All of a sudden when they hear it, they don't pay any attention. They don't even really listen to it because they're kind of like, I know this. Oh, I've already heard that. That's not what he told you to do with what you've heard. <clears throat> if you start going to the degree to say, oh, I've already heard that, I already know this. Guess what you're not doing? You're not giving the more earnest heed to the things you've heard. What does that probably prove? You're drifting away. <clears throat> you're drifting away from it. Because verse 2 says, If as it was spoken of through angels in the past, that that word clearly in context to those who did not obey it, received a reward, meaning judgment came to them. Then verse 3 says, How shall we under this New Testament covenant, hearing the word preached, how shall we escape? How shall we escape that judgment if we neglect our salvation? If we neglect what we have and what we're supposed to walk out, which at the first was spoken by the Lord when Jesus was here and has now been confirmed by those who heard him, his disciples. Meaning what? If you're not going to do what the Bible says, you're going to drift away. And if you drift away, you could clearly miss the rapture. 
And if you continue to drift away from God, you could wind up facing eternal judgment. Once again, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So he's just warning us not to do that. Matthew 24, let's look at some words of Jesus in closing. What do you think? Matthew 24, to neglect your salvation means that you are not doing the things necessary of what you should do to maintain your walk with God. Stay close to God. Has anybody perfected that? No. Nope. But again, it comes back to this establishing of your heart. So if your heart stays set on God, you're going to be okay. I've told, this, I've told this for years as a pastor. 33 years as a pastor, I've told this church over and over and over again. If you keep your heart set on God and you keep chasing Him, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But if you start chasing things and stuff and other aspects of the world, you're going to get in trouble. Matthew 24. In, in Matthew 24, 13 here, Jesus, number 9, Jesus told us to be what? Tough and endure to the end. Matthew 24, 13, notice this. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Wow. Jesus didn't say he who prays a prayer and is born again shall be. He said he who endures to the end shall be saved. Meaning what? We don't allow Satan to pull us away from God and once again get us to deny our God. But that's what he wants to do. I'll tell you, man. Uh, pastors taught this for years and years and years, and I believe it. How many know Satan's deceived? How many know it's easier to deceive people when you're deceived? Well, guess what? Satan's deceived. Kathy and I were talking a little bit about this today at lunch. I said, you know, even with some people in our government, I think some of the things they're saying that they actually believe them now. I really do. I think they believe them. They're so deceived. You got to realize Satan's deceived, and he thinks he's still going to get you. He still thinks he's going to get you to deny God and walk away from him. But how many know we're going to, some of us, we're going to shock that devil when that day comes. Matthew 24, 42, a little further down. 24, 42. Notice what he went on to say here. Watch therefore. What's watch mean? Stay awake spiritually. Watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You can know the time. You should. You should know the season. Don't know the hour. Don't know the day even. He said, no one knows the day except the Father. Not even I know. So watch. 43. But know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, wait a minute. But we can't know the hour. He said, if the master would have known the hour the thief was coming... He'd have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. But guess what? When Jesus shows up, he's going to come like a thief. We're not going to be aware of it. Not the hour. And therefore, like a thief, he's going to break through the clouds and we're going to be raptured out of here. So he's not saying you can be like the master and know the hour. You're not going to know the hour. So because you're not going to know the hour, look at verse 14. Therefore, you also be what? Be ready. Because you're not like the master who knows the hour. You're supposed to do what? Stay ready. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Number 10 on your notes. Jesus tells us to be ready at what? All times. Be ready at all times because when this great event happens, you will have absolutely no warning Or preparation time. 
Now, we just taught this in our Revelation series. The Bible's clear. Will there be believers left when the rapture occurs? Absolutely. Sadly. But, but the Bible tells us there's ten virgins. There's only one way you become pure in the eyes of God, born again. Five are foolish, five are wise. <clears throat> the church at Laodicea is a church of believers of which a letter was written. And Jesus said, you're lukewarm. If you stay lukewarm when I return, rapture the church. Guess what? You're going to be left behind. <clears throat> now listen, if you're a believer and you're lukewarm watching tonight, I don't believe anybody here is, not going to believe anybody here is, and you get left behind in the rapture, you better get real serious real quick about your walk with God. And if you think it's tough to get serious with your walk with God now, wait till that time takes place. Now, that doesn't mean anybody loses their salvation, but most of those people will die for their faith. Most of them will be martyred. There's a mid-trib uh, mid rapture of people that are born again during that first three and a half years of tribulation. But there's also acknowledgement of many at, that are actually at the throne who were martyred for their faith during that tribulation period. So not everybody's going to be martyred because there's a mid-tribulation rapture right in the middle of that. Why a mid-tribulation rapture, Pastor? Because that's when the Antichrist really gets full reign for the final three and a half years on the earth. Because during that first three and a half years, what's going on? People are being born again. There's 144,000 Jews preaching the gospel. Why would, why would Jesus still be getting people born again during the tribulation period? Because he's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He don't want anybody to be separated from God. And in that day, it'll be black and white. It'll be black and white. There's truly a God. There was truly a Jesus, a son of God who came and got everybody. That rapture event is not like the movie, if you've seen it, Left Behind. <clears throat> it's not like, I used to think it because I saw that movie before I studied the Bible. I thought, yep, we're just going to be gone. All these people are going to go, hmm, where'd they all go? wonder where all these people went. No, the Bible said when he appears in the clouds, all will see him. Who's all? Everybody on the planet. <clears throat> all will see him. And they will all hear that trumpet sound. And guess what all who are on the planet are going to next watch? They're going to watch all those bodies that are still here of those who came with them, all of a sudden raptured up and caught up to those that are with Jesus. Then they're going to watch me and you just sucked off of this planet. Train, I mean, literally, could you, you could be, if you're standing next to a sinner, this is going to happen so quick, they're going to watch you turn into an Im, immortal a body from mortal to immortal and they're going to watch you just be pulled up off of the planet and they're going to stand there and watch all of us go up to heaven go up to Jesus right. <clears throat> now if you're a believer guess what wake up call yeah. ding 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 what are the foolish virgins going to say Lord wait wait he said nope you weren't ready you knew where the all was you knew what to do to stay ready and if you'd have stayed ready, you'd have gone out of here. Now, I thank God that they still have the opportunity to go to heaven. But it's going to be a tough time on earth. Man, if you think it's tough now, we don't have any idea how dark that day is going to be. The Bible said it's like a, a day of, of tribulation that's never been in all of history. Think about the flood. He said it'll be a time of tribulation like has never been. His words. It's going to be total wickedness and evil loosed on this earth. And that last three and a half years is going to be one dark time. But in Jesus' name, we now know what to do 
until he comes. Can I get a better amen? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.